Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Ruck, everybody. It's been a great weekend for rugby because rugby's lost its unwanted title as the sport with the silliest and most baffling rules. Formula One took uh, rugby's title away yesterday with all that rubbish. I'm with um, Alex Lowe. Alex, do you realise that had that race panned out as it was meant to under existing rules, you could have driven an Austin Allegro to the world title on your own? (laughs) I was on the way home from uh, Coventry, went to Wasps, and opposite me on the train were with this couple who were glued to their phone, refreshing it, refreshing it, refreshing it, waiting for, for the stewards to report back who'd won the world title. I mean, it was, yeah, not bizarre, um, controversial, and uh, yeah, and for once, it's not rugby that's that's mired in in a in a rules in realm. Our other panelist today can only be described as the king of tabloid rugby, Johnny Fordham. World Cups and Lions tours for the Sun. And the sort of man who always keeps you fit when you're on tour, because whenever you see him, you feel like running a mile. <laughs> Johnny, it's great for you to join us from your seat of power in the Thames Valley. Um, your your uh, take on Formula One, please, because everyone's talking about it. Oh, it was it was spectacular, wasn't it? I only caught like the last uh, last lap and a half, and I was like, "Hang on a minute, what's going on here?" The- uh, it was just sheer and utter mad, crazy drama. And you talk about kind of Formula One taking rugby's shambling crown there. But have you just seen what's happened in the Champions League draw, which they're having to now redo because they couldn't get the right balls in the right bag or something like that? So the, yeah, the Talk Sport tried to kick us out of our studio so they could uh, go, go back live. But we've we stood firm. They're going to have to find somewhere else to go and and record. Yeah, John, you and I have both covered Formula One, but you much more recently than me. Give everyone a sense of what it's like on that circuit and how how different it is to rugby. Sonia McLaughlin, friend of ours who, who works for the BBC and BT, was just yeah. saying today on, on on social media, drawing a, a contrast between how you know how rugby needs to innovate in the way that F one does in terms of its coverage, in terms of of its access to to um, drivers and team principals and stuff like that. When you when you've been on the on that beach, just what's it like? I mean, it is a a ridiculous and crazy circus. Um, I mean, as a journalist in, in F1, you're you're basically given access all areas. You can go on the grid. You can go. You can go sniff around in the um, in the paddock. You can kind of go places where people pay 
hundreds and thousands of pounds to get this kind of access. Um, it is uh, another level and they know how to, how to do entertainment and they probably got it wrong with what they did on the weekend. Um, but yeah, to have those cameras kind of pointing everywhere and, you know, following Toto Wolf around the, um, the garage there and all that kind of stuff was just sheer and utter sporting drama. I mean, I think when you look at rugby, sometimes you go, come on, you've got a, you've got the people, you've got the characters, but then you've got the kind of old curmudgeonly people who just don't want to, don't want to use these people and, and show off these characters. I, I, I don't know what the problem is at the moment. It's probably, well, it will be to do with money. I'm sure it will be, but um Johnny, yeah, when you it, first it, came into rugby, you found it was f far from uh, access all areas. It was access no areas, and and oh. actually, it's still it's still like that now, isn't it? I mean, looking back, so do you know what I had? I had a look on the um, I, I don't I don't normally do it, and, uh, but I had a look on the BBC Sport website this morning because I thought that's what that's what Joe Public would normally do. And you have a look on the BBC Sport website, and it's covered with um, obviously all the football, all the F one. Uh, a little bit of cricket and then you've got stuff like I, I watched a video this morning of all the best highlight reels from the NFL okay where, where, where's the rugby one where's the European rugby highlights you know mm -hmm. Danny Care that little flick and all that kind of jazz where, where's all that that should be in a kind of free to air platform like the BBC I mean that just opens up doors that you know rugby can only dream of right now I think it I think it needs to kind of um, you know ever since the loss of the uh the, the highlight show, which again was you know, tucked away in Channel 5. Did anyone really watch it? Probably not. But if they could get something online, you know, the next morning, I think that would be, you know, that could help transform the sport because the only time, the only time the kind of general public see it is the Six Nations and World Cup. And that's not good enough. That's not good enough. You know, if you can get the, the F1, a, a, a multi-billion sport onto free-to-air, onto Channel 4 as quick as they did and the same with Edit. Emma Raducanu, then, you know, something needs to be done for rugby in a similar kind of vein, I think. Very, very, very wise words. Um, Alex? I just, I, I think what Formula One have always done so well is promote the narrative, promote the rivalries. And it's something that I think rugby, I think we've discussed it before, but there's always sort of shy away a bit from from building up the head-to-head the -head rivalries, building up the, the you know, the team, team against team rivalries because they're worried about saying the wrong thing about the opposition and Formula One don't seem to worry about that at all, and they've they've made what four or five years of Netflix series all built around the narrative of driver versus driver, rival versus rival, and it creates and it, it it led to this remarkable sort of crescendo on on the weekend and full of drama and controversy and what what have you. But you know there were people sitting on the train, refreshing their phones, waiting and waiting for updates, and that's that's because they've been hooked by stories and narratives and rivalries and personalities and I think that that's I think rugby has so many of them there's so many opportunities and we do our, our best in in print and, and online to try and tell those stories and and, and you know, generate those narratives to to grab readers and, and fans who are perhaps casual sports fans so many people who watched I think seven and a half million in total watched that race over the weekend and, I haven't and, seen the race all season. I saw, exactly. but I watched that. And, and an I enormous watched, number yeah. will have been yeah. casual sports fans who were hooked by the narrative. And rugby has so many great characters, so many great stories, and we're all just like gagging to be able to tell them. Um, and I, I think there's acres of of space for for, for the sports to grow. Absolutely. Um,
Gentlemen um, and uh, ladies out there, um, our intention was to uh, start off with the Champions Cup round, uh, which has just been played and um, possibly slightly sidetracked there or possibly not, because there's a lot of the issues we've just been talking about would come through in the Champions Cup. Also, uh, Jess Hayden will have our roundup of the latest results in the women's game. And uh, significantly, we'll chat with Polly Barnes about the Women's Rugby Association. Uh, the brainchild of, or rather, the uh, Polly is the inspiration, along with the colleagues, of a new trade union and a significant union which will uh, give the voice to players in the Premiership in the Premier 15. So we'll be speaking to Polly soon. Afterwards, Johnny and um, Alex and myself will be revealing our god or goddess of the week. Uh, it was a big round of the um, Champions Cup, an epic round, or was it? There were some huge games. Also, there were very, some very, very small games. Um, teams, some teams fielded their full side. Others fielded nothing like their full side. There were big crowds and there were tiny crowds. Uh, Alex, um, some good games, but are we just starting to feel the first pangs of anxiety that the, the Champions Cup is not asserting itself in the pantheon of big events? Well, I think, as Johnny said earlier, um, it, it, isn't, it isn't cutting through to the mainstream in the way that you, you'd want it to. I, I think there are lots of factors at play here. Um, COVID has had a huge impact on on this round. I mean, I think there was is it seven games were impacted in total, and, and some of them, I, I was at, at, at Coventry, like I said, Wasps against Munster. There were nearly 60 players unavailable from the two teams. Wasps had to had to completely reshuffle their the spine of their team on the morning of the game. They thought the game was going to be off 24 hours before kickoff. Um so for them, and, and, and they go to Toulouse next week, they're going to have to dip into their academy because they, they, at the moment they've only got 23 players available because Brad Shields is going to be suspended and Gabriel Ogre is injured. So they're going to go to Toulouse with academy players. For them, it's just become about fulfilling their fixtures. Mm. Um, and of and we've touched on this on this pod before, but of pretty major concern to me being at that game was it was a wonderful atmosphere but once once the game finished and the Wasps fans left and the Munster fans remained to cheer on their their team, you barely tell the difference. I mean, mm. there were hardly any Wasps fans there at all. Mm. Um, I thought over the weekend, I thought there was some a couple of real outstanding wins, um, notable games. Ulster winning at Claremont. Um, I, I saw some of that game that really caught my eye. Leicester obviously winning in Bordeaux was big, um, and I thought I, I I saw some of the highlights of the game I'd been at when I got home. And Donica O'Callaghan was was describing it at Monsters winners as one of the, one of their greatest days in Europe, which mm. I thought was overstating it by a, about a million percent. Because yeah. yes, it was a big win, and they were missing thirty four players, but so were Wasps. And by the way, they still had Conor Murray and Peter O'Mahony and Damien Dialende and a, a whole host of experienced the, the, players. There is nothing like the capacity of Munster rugby to self mythologise everything they do. Munsters team was way more um, uh, familiar than Wasps in terms of yeah. in terms of top players. Well, Wasps were rehearsing uh, in the bowels of the stadium before. Yeah. They, had, they had Brad Shields learning how to call the lineups for the first time ever, playing yeah. in the second row. I mean, it, it, as I said in, in my match report, you know, it was a it was a brilliant, brilliant game, certainly for 40 minutes, because both sides just, just went for it because they had nothing else they had no other way to play. They didn't know what they didn't know each other. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, look, let's not um, 
I mean, Wasps uh, only two years ago would take bringing thirty five thousand, thirty three thousand to that stadium, but since then it, it's the, the, it's collapsed underneath them in terms of um, injuries. Also, I mean, so, you know, the great Anglo Welsh clashes, um, Osprey Sale which sale won fairly easily. There were less than 5,000 mm. people there in what is meant to be the only successful uh, Welsh region. J- Johnny, um, uh, in yeah. your football experience, no one uh, could ever uh, compare the rugby with the football in European Cup, but are you um, surprised that Europe has not grown bigger? Because when you came into rugby, it was sort of on a launch pad, but it appears to be struggling to, to take the next step up the ladder. Yeah, yeah, massively. And, and like like Alex was saying there, you look at, you, and you just mentioned that Osprey's game, the attendance, you know, you look at the pictures and it's players celebrating in front of empty stands and you think, hang on a minute, this this is the, this is a Champions League of, of rugby. And it's like, I, I think it is more than, more than COVID at the moment. I mean, does anyone understand uh, this new format, which was obviously COVID induced, but the new format and, and all that kind of thing, you need to kind of, uh, you know, uh, a degree from Oxford or Cambridge to kind of work out what what's going on in who's playing who and when they're playing them and all this kind of jazz. So I just think it's just got massively overcomplicated and the whole COVID situation with the, you know, players being unavailable, there's no kind of rules and regs there. You, you know, you're talking about all these players that are unavailable, but you know, a couple of weeks ago, what was it? Barbarians had three players out, but could play, could, could field a team. Uh, and that game got called off, so it's just it's just like um, yeah, you know, I mean, that that still baffles me. Like I said, I was at you know, Wasps had eight positive tests the day before the yeah. game. They retested everyone. Yeah, okay. It got whittled down to four, um, and they were still able to play. Brilliant. And you know, mm. England had positive tests, and they were able to play their tests. Brilliant. I think that we should be. How that Barbarians game got called off um, yeah. was a travesty, in my view. It's it a, a tangent, but it just it just shows how the the sport at the moment is because you've got all these different people setting different rules in, in different countries. You just mm. need to kind of have a unified approach and say, listen, this is what we're going to do. Um, can we just agree on this for one season or two seasons and, and crack on with it? I should, it just, I, I should have mentioned, Stephen, my list of, of, of wins. Quinn, Quinn's away at Castro as well. Yeah. Um, that was actually on my on the, the other side of my piece of paper, which I didn't, didn't note it. But that was a good win. And I, I saw them at, at Leicester a week ago where, where they lost but showed a fight about them which we weren't sure was there you know mm. they, they won so spectacularly last season playing the way they played um, they're going to they're contracting their game a bit through circumstance through through weather and and, and they're, they're staying in the fight and, and they well, that was a big win for them I thought away at Castro um, in terms of um, you know the, the people we, 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 we can't talk lightly winners who only had one round but Alex uh, Racing um Played superbly at absolutely brilliantly at Northampton, who, who were not an exorable opponent. Also, I thought that Leinster uh, were, were very authoritative against against Bath. Um, also, um, in terms of England, Leicester and Exeter. I mean, Leicester mm. no bad wins away against uh, against slightly disappointing uh, Begler Bordeaux. Exeter really thumping it at uh, at home uh, against Montpellier, but they didn't feel their strongest team by mm. a long shot. So yeah. Quite great to get a big, a big home win and a strong points difference against Montpellier, but it wasn't it wasn't the, the European humdinger it should have been because because Montpellier came with without without their strongest names. I, I thought yeah, Racing put put Northampton t- to the sword, um, and I thought Toulouse, I, I thought Cardiff for all their travails and, and and struggles they've had put up a hell of a fight against mm. against Toulouse, and really it was a it was the Antoine Dupont show. 
he just underlined why he's such a sensational player and and, and accelerated them to to quite a big win. But but actually, Cardiff deserve an enormous amount of credit for, yes, for the do. way they played. But they, unlike Munster, they didn't take an awful amount of credit. <laughs> uh, Munster will be announcing their cure for COVID any any day now. Apparently, <laughs> um, Johnny, um, let's just talk about Leicester. Um, uh, they 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 they're really back on form after quite an absence and. Um, uh, from where I was sitting, there was one man stood between uh, the two teams. That was George Ford at ten. Mm. Um, you, you, you were like the rest of us in the studio. Have been trying to work out Eddie's um, uh, machinations, I suppose, in terms of selection. It is said that you and Eddie are not actually bosom pals as well. That may that may be wrong, but where does he get this George Ford out of the team thing? Because George, George dominated on Saturday. Um. Well, the thing is, yeah. If you right, I, I get, I get this all. But you know, let's let's rewind back to the Six Nations and back to the autumn. We were all saying it was time to get rid of the, get rid of some of these guys, and then he eventually does. And then we're saying, oh, it's time to bring them all back in. I, you know, I, yeah. I, I hate to, uh, I hate to ever agree with anything that Eddie Jones does, but I think he's done absolutely the right thing by 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 clearing them out and and just just leaving them out. It would have been easy to kind of you know, stick Billy back in at some point into that England squad with the way that he was playing with Saracens and and, and the same with Ford. Cause I was, at, um, I was at a few of his games before the, uh, before England picked their autumn squad. And it was like, you know, you're watching him going, this guy's playing out, out of his skin here. You know, this, he, he knows that he's playing for his, for his England future. And he, you know, he, he showed what a classy player he was, but if you were going to go to a World Cup tomorrow, or even in a couple of years' time, which obviously they will, who would you take? Would you take Ford or Marcus Smith if you had to take one? Well, you take Marcus Smith. And I think if you apply that kind of principle to to number eight as well, you you, you wouldn't take Billy. You, you just wouldn't take him because his form, his temperament, his, his, his injury record, you just wouldn't, wouldn't risk him. I think there's... I think now is the time to do it. And he's actually done the right thing for once. I think he's, well, I say now's the time to do it. Like I say, we, we're all crying out for this a long, long time ago. Um, Alex, uh, just before we go on, um, if you gave me the choice of George Ford and Marcus Smith for the next World Cup, I would indeed find that an easy choice. It wouldn't be the one that you made. You made. Uh, Alex, are you surprised that uh, Johnny's suddenly become a disciple of Eddie and is <laughs> slobbering all over him after all those years when he, uh, I think it's he, he, he held him to account? Yeah, it's disgusting. Um, hmm. No, I, I actually, I know where Johnny's coming from. If you read, if you read Eddie's book, and, and by the way, Eddie's not, not, no, averse, not averse to a... <laughs> got to contradicting himself, which he's he's done within two weeks of publishing Isn't his book. Out of date? <laughs> in his book, he wrote that Marotoje was was not going to be a future England captain, and two weeks later, he's completely changed his mind. There is a line in in the book, for, written post Six Nations, in which he says that in his mind there were five England players who he didn't think would win another cap, and he looked at the the game against Ireland. And the way that players were slow off the ground and slow back into position, and obviously England got got heavily beaten that day. And lo and behold, he then drops a handful of high-profile players, the Vunapolas and George Ford and Jamie George. Initially, I wonder whether Elliot Daly might have been dropped if he'd been if he'd been available um, and, and not injured. You know, Ben Earl hasn't featured since. There are some significant some significant names there who haven't been picked since that Six Nations. Eddie obviously saw something in those players that he that made him doubt whether they would still be at their peak by the next World Cup. And what he's done is drop them and challenge them to prove him wrong. 
And as you say, Johnny, George Ford all season has been outstanding. Um, and, you know, in, in that game against Quinns just a week ago, he was man of the match. And, and, and not for anything flashy, not for goose steps and um, hitch kicks and, and out-of-the-back passes, just accurate control and game management. Um, and I think I think there's a, about a year or so ago, George was one of those players who was saying the ball's a ticking time bomb, we can't be caught in possession. And he, 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 yeah, he, was, he, he was kicking... Yeah, he Eddie Jones. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Whereas, whereas I think now there's a much, as there is across the whole game, there's a much greater balance to his game, and we're seeing all of his, all of his um, abilities, and it will make it a very tricky selection for Eddie come come Six Nations because at the moment he's got, you know, he's got Owen Farrell as his squad captain as well, who's a who's a fly half option. So, yeah, George is making life hard for Eddie. Let's let's be fair. England have not had a set midfield since 2003. Really, I mean, you yeah. know, the the thing is, Ireland, for instance, who had a great autumn, they they pick their best team every time, and they make up their mind. Eddie basically is 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 putting up a smokescreen, in my opinion, but you can't make up his mind. But let's just go final final word on the on Europe, boys. A lot of empty seats at Northampton and and Wasps. Um, that not the French dominance everyone expected. Some nice games in that Cardiff to lose was nice in a certain way, as was Wasps and Munster. Big away wins for Leicester and Quinns. But when it comes down to it, because the new league, the URC, is so fractured, uh, and because the Premiership is so important to the English clubs, uh, Alex, are we looking forward to a period of dominance of the Irish provinces? Because it is far and away their priority. It is miles above the URC in terms of their priorities. Yeah, I think I think another major factor in this, Steve, over the next year or two, will be the Premiership's decision to lower their salary cap. We're, we're mm. seeing much more movement now already. You know, Vincent Cock been snapped up by Wasps. What a brilliant signing that is, Wasps, by the way. Mm. But I think it more likely we'll see the Dwayne Vermeulens choosing Ulster instead of the Premiership because Premiership clubs are going to be limited in what they can spend and they'll be down to one marquee player and that will also have a bearing, I think, on Europe. OK. We've just had a Mr Eddie Jones on the line uh, thanking you for your support, Johnny, by the way. <laughs> he said he knows you've always been behind him. Uh, Listen, I, I thought, like all of us, I thought that he, he should have... He was extremely lucky to hang on to his job after the Six Nation and I think he got completely spooked by that review and he's finally gone do you know what i need to start uh start bringing some people through and start giving people what they want to see otherwise i'm going to be out the door and he's done enough so he says he doesn't bow down to to media or people pressure but i think he has i think he has um i think he has done that but it was the right thing to do Chris Ashton, uh, he was always a, a good, uh, let's say, tabloid uh, target, always worth a few paragraphs. He's now apparently left Worcester. Um, that's a, a long list of clubs he's he's left. He's a bit, bit of a tortured soul there because he had a heck of a talent. Oh, I mean, he's he's a he's a fantastic rugby player on his day, isn't he? He's absolutely brilliant. But I'm not too sure what's going on at, Wor- at Worcester because this is uh, this is something that's been on the on the cards for a long, long time. He's been unavailable for selection according to the club for a long time, but they haven't they haven't said why. So there's clearly been a clearly been a falling out there. He's had a couple of injuries and all this kind of stuff as well. Um and also it turns out that he didn't want to drive all that way from Northampton to Worcester every day, which is about an hour and a half. So um, <laughs> you know, that must have surprised him a little bit when he moved from Northampton to Worcester. Um I don't I, He's I mean, not- it's a it's, bizarre situation um Steve Diamond is up his old muddy 
his old buddy there uh, comes in and then uh, Ashton soon out. So. I, think, I think it's a shame is that when, you know, he was outstanding for Northampton, Saracens yeah. set try-scoring records for too long. Um, and what a year he had down there. They moved into fullback, which is not his natural position. And they they had a team of stars and some of those wonderful Fijian outside backs. And, and he was... He was he was scoring tries for fun and, and, and setting setting records and and then his, he moved back to England in order to play for England and it didn't quite work at Sale, definitely didn't work at Harlequins mm-hmm. and now it hasn't worked at Worcester and, and all three of those moves have been have been cut short um, and and it feels it feels like uh, you know a, a thrilling career has has rather petered out which is which is sad because. Because he brought, you know, he was one of those players. Going back to what we talked about earlier, and you know, and, and Johnny uh, working to get get rugby into into the sun. He he brought stardust. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was a wonderful character, always quotable, um, and and was a name that that people recognised. And and um, just feels it's just a shame that it's, pe- it's petering out the way it is. And just I think that's a good point to end because we're talking about characters. And Johnny was saying about rugby's inability to capture them and to and to cash in on them. Well, Ashton is another one who. The more the bigger the character he came, the less he was allowed to, to, to reveal himself. Okay, moving on. Um, this morning in the papers and all over social media, we heard about a brand new organisation. It's called the Women's Rugby Association. Basically, I think it's a trade union for... Um, the new generation of players, those in the Premier 15s uh, for a start, which is a major move. It's the brainchild of Polly Barnes, and Polly's with us now. Morning, Polly. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi, Steve. Good. It's a, it's a, it's a big step forward, and I think the, the expression trade union is exactly what it is. I mean, I don't think there's going to be mass walkouts as if it's the coal mine, National Union of Mine Workers or anything, but it is a very significant step, Polly, which you and your colleagues have set in train. Absolutely, Steve. Yeah. Um, And colleagues is important. So um, I don't think I can take full credit for it being brainchild. However, um, there were some interesting um, steps put in motion at the beginning of this year um, when uh, Alicia Butchers, who plays for Bristol, actually got injured. Um, I think you may have seen it. Um, Molly Waterman, Danielle Waterman, put out a tweet saying, how can this be right that a player is having to crowdfund for her own treatment? Um, and make of that what you will. Um, and then Emma Lax contacted me. So Emma's a head of strategy at um, an amazing agency in town. And she said, how can this be right? So we all had a, a mutual sort of bonding over that. Emma and I didn't even know each other before. And uh, then we brought Holly Hamill um, involved as well. And it just sort of snowballed from there, really. It, it was one of those things where um, we just saw a thing that needed doing and, and we set to it. And yes, it is a trade union. Um, however, it's trade union with a small so we've set it up um, properly um, with the full suite of rules and regs and all of those things just to make sure the players are truly protected and that everything is done absolutely by the book. However, um, you know, we, it's a players union, right? So we just want to make sure that we are bringing the voices of the players together who um, henceforth haven't really been represented um, on a domestic level. Polly, is it one of, one of the, um, the urgency, the, one of the driving factors is surely that um, the Premier 15s, which is the, 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 the group and the competition that you're aiming at, has come on so strongly. It's gone from being amateur to really looking, looking forward to a professional future. And that brings with it a lot of 
um, a lot of um, uh, responsibilities for the players and therefore uh, fertile ground for your brand new idea? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, I, I don't come from within rugby, so I will never um, talk about the, the player experience. However, you know, Nolly comes from a real sort of teaching, coaching, development background, as well as being um, one of the best players we've ever had um, on a global scale. And we've also been consulting a lot with these players. They um, are expected to do a lot more than they ever have been. Um, the word professionalism is something that is banded around a lot. Um, we know this from our consultations. Um, and look, they're the ones who are delivering on the league, right? They're putting themselves on the line. Um, it's a massively diverse league as well. So the, the, the game is super exciting. I think everybody um, knows that the spectacle is amazing. Um, and, you know, these women are, are just unique in the world of rugby because, you know, Yes, they're, they're going from unprofessional to professional. Nobody really knows what that means yet. It's a big step in the stage. But, you know, many of them hold down uh, other very, very impressive jobs. They're, they're really interesting people. So they, they need their own representation. And yes, it's urgent. Um, this sort of thing isn't about let's consult and consult and just chat about it um, and do something in a couple of seasons time. They needed this yesterday. Um, so really, we just want to look at some of those fundamentals as quickly as we can. And that's something that we've been able to put in place already. And although we've only been launched today, we already have players who are benefiting from the services in place. So, you know, we're trying to put our money where our mouth is. Alex, Alex Lowe, Alex, you wrote a, a, a nice article on um, on the initiative in the Times this morning. Yeah, but Polly, I wonder whether you could just explain to to our listeners because some of the reaction I've had to the piece was along the lines of we we as in the public assumed that this was something that the RPA would cover. Um, just explain why there was a, I guess, a gap that, that needed filling and and the kind of work that you can do to ensure that the next Alicia Butchers is is fully covered. Uh, insurance-wise, understands her contract in a way that she didn't understand previously. Um, just, just explain uh, those two areas for us. Sure. Um, look, the RPA um, has been around a long time. They know their stuff, but they don't cover the Premier 15's domestic game. They cover players who are well, the Red Roses. So um, whilst they are the shop window into the sport, and they're amazing, amazing women, very inspirational, um, they also don't necessarily reflect um, the girls who are slogging it out. Um, I call them girls because they call themselves girls, to be clear, but they are slogging it out on a week-by-week -week basis. And, you know, some of those are entering the sport at 16, 17, 18 years old. And again, it's a different ball game um, across the board. The RPA, um, we did speak to them originally about this and they didn't have the resources or the funding at the time to take it on. And we just really, really felt that it needed doing and you know we're busy people we've got careers too but we yeah we just we just felt the real urge to, to get this done and we're obviously from different um, backgrounds I'm not from a rugby background um, neither is Emma nor Holly um, we are related of course um, to the sport and we care deeply about it but what we wanted to do really was um, pull our collective resources and networks from beyond rugby and start asking some of the bigger questions because um, my experience is that you know, new ideas are difficult sometimes for people to, to get their heads around. Um, change is, is tricky for anyone. That's just what it, part of it is, you know, to be human. Um, but I have that benefit, for example, and so to Emma and Holly, of coming from outside of the sport where we can go, OK, well, that's how it's always been done. But why, you know, or why not is probably a better way of looking at it. So um, we set about getting to business. We have done that. We've set it up. We've been working with um, 
our amazing legal partner all year, Morgan Sports Law, and a couple of other excellent partners, Risk Hub and Cake, to help us get going and get set up. So we are a fully operational entity. We are um, able already to offer legal advice and education to all players who are signed up um, to the union. Um, because, you know, we don't want another Alicia Butcher's case. And she wasn't the only one, right? There were, there were, there were other girls afterwards. And I think a lot of it is around education. So when you're asked to sign something or, you know, how do you do your tax return? How do you, all of this kind of stuff is confusing for everybody. And, you know, there's such diversity across that league. We just wanted to make sure that we could help put something in place that would, would, would sort people out straight away. You've given some examples like Alicia and uh, uh, of people who struggled had to pay for themselves. Alex um, listed a few more in, in his article this morning. So you, you can cover that. But what, what, what happens when it comes to the vexed question of player contracts? I mean, will you be able to represent them in those negotiations for salary? That is our aim, absolutely. So there are a couple of areas. One is um, that uh, focus on being able to represent in terms of contracts. So what that looks like, we're not sure, but obviously negotiations are going to start quite soon for the next season. Um, we've had some really positive conversations with the RFU, for example, already, um, who have been excellent and who we've been talking to for a good few months on this now. And we don't exactly know what that's going to look like, but what we can do is um, through our structure and our governance structure, which I'll explain in a sec, we can make sure those players have a seat at that table so they're part of those conversations. I'm sure none of it's going to be easy because nothing worth doing ever is, right? But um, mm. that's that's what we intend to do. So we'll see what that looks like. But yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's not right that players who are they are the league without them there is none um, aren't involved in some of those conversations about the future of their sport the future of their contracts centralizing things what that looks like um, that's not right and we're going to make sure that that changes um, so you are eligible to be a member of the Women's Rugby Association if you're registered with the Premier 15s club. Um, but for those who do play internationally or are covered by another trade body, for example, the RPA, um, they are also able and very, very welcome to be part of it and to, to reap the benefits of being part of both or, or multiple unions. Uh, the RPA are often having, often having to defend themselves um, and, and argue that they're independent, even though they're funded by the RFU and, and Premiership Rugby. And Damien Hopley has been on this this podcast in the past trying to explain the different arms of what they do and, and what's independent and, and what isn't just, just explain to us how you guys plan to to operate how are you going to be funded will you be independent or will you end up do you think partnering with with the rfu or or, or the league yeah, it's a great question. Um, and obviously, that's how the money, uh, well, money makes the world go around, right? So you do need funding from from places. What we are going to do, um, at the moment, we are independent. And um, I personally, and I think I speak on behalf of my colleagues, um, believe that you can never be truly independent if you are completely hand in glove with the governing body that you are, are working with and for. However, that said, practicality can come into it but what we want to do is make sure and what we will do is make sure it's the players who decide so we already have a number of um lovely big brand sponsors lined up on the you know on the doorstep ready to help and step in 
But at the moment, we've set this up and we're self-appointed. Um, that's not because we want to get ourselves front and centre of the action. That's because it needs doing. But um, within the first couple of weeks and then indeed at least the first three months, we're going to have a player board set up um, from a governance perspective, which means a representative from each of the Premier 15's clubs. Um, and we will help the league to uh, elect in the best way to make sure that we've got diversity of voices throughout that league um, to represent them. And there'll be a chair and a vice chair all questions about funding and where that comes from will be decided by the players because um, that's what it means to be a union, I think. Um, at the moment, um, we have been funded and we continue to be, at least for the first season and probably beyond, um, by and with our really generous partners who, again, they're not all from a rugby background, but it just goes to show when you sort of uh, raise an issue and say something needs doing, um, can you get on board? There are a number of people, really good people out there who are very, very happy to get involved. And we've got sponsors and partners who um, give money, time, advice, um, not least an advisory board, which we've got in place and we'll be announcing in the new year who that is. But we wanted to make sure it was from a very, very broad range of thinking and backgrounds because these players are, are diverse. They're, they're women with, with many, many strings to their bows. So it's not just about contracts. It's not just about welfare on the pitch. It's about the whole person, the whole player on and off and using our network to make sure that we can make things happen for them. Polly, um, when, when you've done this, we've got about another 35 problems in rugby for you. So if you could push on with this, we can then refer to all, to the other 34. But I think anyone who's watched the uh, the growth of the, of the league over the years and, and now knows that Leicester, Newcastle and London Irish are, are kind of pushing to be in there as well. It seems that the, the, the sky's the limit. Do you expect this thing, not only your association, but but the the club game at, uh, at Premier 15's level to, to sort of really, really take off now? Yeah, look, I mean, it's difficult. We don't want to draw comparisons with the men's game, you know, back in the 90s and what have you, but there definitely are some. Um, there are some learnings to be taken from that as well, but there is absolutely no reason why, as long as we are very careful and um, we keep front of mind that the women's game is different from the men's game. We're not trying to replicate anything at this stage. We're being very real about what is possible and what isn't. Um, then, yeah, absolutely. And, and the players do their talking on the pitch, right? If they can keep doing that, then people like us will do our damnedest to make sure that we can support them in getting there. And, you know, a lot of people have already talked in sort of future terms around we're looking forward to seeing where this goes. Um, and I don't think Bill Sweeney would mind me saying that he, um, he's been very supportive and said they have bold expectations for what we can do together um, with this union. So, yeah, we're really pleased, really, um, really excited to have it going. It's already running. And sure, chuck the other four problems over. What do I know? But we'll give it a go, right? <laughs> that was, that's Polly Barnes of the Women's Rugby Association. Um, happy news story for, uh, for a Monday and uh, Polly, thanks a million for joining us, and I hope that we can uh, we can get back together and um, and and follow the uh, trace the progress of it. So, every all the best to you, and thank you for joining us on the Ruck. Thanks for having me and for all your support. Proper allies. Cheers, guys. Okay, yeah, uh, we're going to go on to our God of Goddess of the Week. Uh, first, uh, Jess Hayden, as normal, will give us our roundup of this week in women's rugby. Bristol Bears have returned to the top of the Premier 15's table following their 14-12 win against Worcester Warriors. They overtake Saracens who move back to second place after losing 36-17 to title holders Harlequins. This marks the first time Saracens have not won at home since March 2018. 
In Exeter, Gloucester Hartbury scored a late try through the hands of Kelly Smith to edge a narrow 8-10 win against Exeter Chiefs. But it was a bad week to be a Shark. DMP Durham Sharks were defeated 40-0 by Wasps and Sale Sharks lost 27-0 to Loughborough Lightning. Loughborough currently sit in 7th place in the Premier 15's table, with the aim being to reach the top four playoff positions by the end of the regular season. There's still plenty of time for that, but the side face a fresh challenge this weekend when they play league leaders Bristol. But by far the most exciting match of this round was Saracens versus Harlequins, the rivalry of the most history in the Premier 15's era. To give you some context if you don't follow the Premier 15s, it's worth knowing that all finals so far in the league's short history have been between these two London sides. Harlequins won the title for the first time last season and this is the first time the sides have played since then. The Harlequins backfield of Emily Scott, Ellie Kildun and Heather Cow combined to cause issues for Saracens, with Scott's breakaway try an early contender for try of the season. But it was ill-discipline and troubles at the set-piece which ultimately cost Saracens their place at the top. A special mention must go to Jade Conkle, the Scotland and Harlequins player who fought back tears before the match as the sides held a minute silence in honour of her friend Siobhan Cattigan, the 19-cap Scotland international who passed away recently. Conkle scored twice for her side and was phenomenal in defence too. So the scores from round 8 are Worcester Warriors 12, Bristol Bears 14, Wasps 40, DMP Durham Sharks 0, Loughborough Lightning 27, Sale Sharks 0, Exeter Chiefs 8, Gloucester Hartbury 10 and finally Saracens 17, Harlequins 36. Okay, gentlemen, um, Alex Lowe, God or Goddess of the Week? So, uh, having spoken to, to Polly just now, Steve, it, it's impossible to overlook what those those four women have done. I spoke to Alicia Butchers yesterday, uh, one of the players who'd had to crowdfund, and she called them superwomen for the work they'd done. So, um, I I was really impressed with Scott Buckley's debut for Munster Hooker yesterday, but it feels like this is a week we have to celebrate the work that's been done to set up this new union. So, my vote goes to to the four women behind the uh, the new venture. Okay, so you're not going to narrow it down at all. We're going to have a four people We're crossing the line super together. Women. Yeah. Super, four super women. Yeah, as, four, as Alicia described them. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Well, this is not really, you know, you're not really kept, put yourself on, <laughs> on a limb there, but that's fair, fair enough. If you can't split them, you can't split them. Well, they, they're not taking individual credit themselves, so... Okay. How can we, how can we... All right, fair enough. ...prioritise one over the rest? Okay, f- four goddesses. Johnny Fordham. Uh, I'm going to pick a uh, a man who's who's old enough to be Marcus Smith's dad, uh, and he also plays with them as well. Danny Kerr, he's 35 in January, and his flick for that Louis Liner opening try for Harlequins at Castro was just sublime. You know, that's the kind of stardust that rugby needs. Those are the kind of highlights we want to be seeing. You know, we talked about the NFL. Watching some of the kind of plays from this week were just simply sensational. Well, that from Danny Kerr, that was right up there as well. I thought that was brilliant. Very, very good one. And um, Danny Kerr, why shouldn't he carry on till he's 96? Why do we keep on rushing players in prime form out of the game? I don't know. Uh, mine I'm, uh, would be a little bit um, uh, more predictable than that because I'm going to go for George Ford, who, who was just so immaculate. Uh, not very interesting, but at least I made up my mind. I didn't give you four names like... Uh, 
like <laughs> Alex did. I actually gave you five because I also five, mentioned Scott Buckley. I have to say, very close contention was the Munster team secretary, who must have scoured the whole of Northern Europe with uh, to find the team after 470 Munster players were not available. So the unnamed team secretary did well, but I'm going to go for George Ford. Gentlemen, thanks a million. Uh, Johnny, great to have you on, mate. And with all seriousness, uh, great get back on tour. You were a brilliant tourist. You're a great man to, to tour with and to work with. Uh, we wish you happy Christmas with you and your family and uh, a big new year. And uh, come back to us soon. Alex Lowe, and the, the same to you. And uh, thank you for all for listening to The Ruck. Keep safe out there and we'll be back next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.